I'm always saying to investors, they can hear me right now. Um, <laughs> having a child is no matter what your superpower. Your superpower, yeah. you want to stay home, that's your superpower. But for founders, it doesn't take away from your passion of your job. It feels, it feels into it. Like, it's like, you like, I, I have no choice but succeed because I have this little person I need to take care of. Thanks for tuning in to The 2%. Today, I'm excited to share a conversation featuring my friend, Female Founders Fund portfolio founder and Parisian makeup artist, Violette. Before we dive into the behind the scenes of building her personal and company brand, I'll fill you in on the impressive background that helped transform this artist into the mega successful entrepreneur she is today. In 2012, Violette was appointed as the international makeup designer of Dior Beauty, where she became the youngest makeup designer in the brand's history. Soon after, in 2014, Violette was invited to consult for Sephora on product development, and then in 2017, she became the youngest person to hold the role of global beauty director at Estee Lauder. Most recently, in 2021, Violette founded her own company, Violette FR, a cosmetics line made avec amour for people and the planet, as well as taking on the role of Guerlain's creative director for makeup. When I first met Violette, I was blown away by her creative direction and brand vision. And I know you will be too. Let's get started. Hi, Violette. Great to have you on here today. Um, so for those who are not familiar, which I would assume is not many, how would you describe your company? Well, first of all, thank you, Anu, for having me. I'm very honored. <laughs> um, I'm always kind of not struggling, but I always feel like when I present the company, I, I come up with such a, maybe too much words. because It's, it's a lot in a way. Uh, so it's a beauty brand that focuses uh, on the way to use beauty as a wellness tool. So we want to help people restore their relationship with themselves. We have a very holistic approach where we kind of bottle up French philosophy that I think is very liberating and educated as well to make a difference. Uh, we have a multi-category brand, skincare, color, hair care, perfume. Uh, we are vegan, sustainable as much as we can, and impeccable formulas. <laughs> Amazing. Would also maybe just love for you to share a little bit about your background um, prior to starting the brand, and maybe what aspects inspired you ultimately, you know, you've obviously been in the, in the beauty world for, for some time, so what was it really that led you to start Violette? So it's almost um, my desire to become a makeup artist and my desire to do my brand came at the same time. Uh, even though I had my first thoughts of creating my own lipstick when I was eight years old and I had no desire to become a makeup artist at that point. And just when I saw this black rose in Paris in the Bagatelle Garden, I was like, oh, this is amazing. You should become a red lipstick. And that stayed in my mind. And when I became a makeup artist, I kind of always tried to replicate that lips in my editorial work. Um, so very early on, I wanted to do a brand because when I started to do makeup, when I was like, okay, I'm gonna do makeup, um, where do I start? Um, I, I, I went to the uh, bookstore and bought, bought some Kevin Coin makeup book and I learned what a foundation was <laughs> and what powder was. <laughs> and I used my art training to kind of 
be my experience, he, but changing it to beauty thanks to those books. And then when I went to Sephora to buy products to basically build my kit, I realized that everything was so expensive, first of all. And so then I went to buy raw materials at Mac. That was the first brand that was doing this. And so my kit was kind of like a mad lab with all these pigments and raw materials and stuff. And so when I created my products on set, I found out that what was on the market was very limited. I couldn't find the strong pigments. I couldn't find the, the very creepy textures, etc. So I thought, wow, there's so much innovation we could do here. But I was so young, I was 20 years old, so I knew I had to, you know, I had a long road before. Maybe you can share a little bit about your your background in beauty. So I started with art first and fashion design. That's really my background. I've studied art since forever and, and fashion design came after when I wanted to become a fashion designer. And when I had to decide on what career to take, I really couldn't decide because just painting, I was missing something, just fashion, I was missing something. And one night I went to a costume party with my friend and, and we just put glitter on our faces. I, I never touched makeup before at that time. And it was so fun. I felt like it was dressing up a face and painting as well. So I thought, why don't I do my job that way? Fusioning these two um, uh, kind of education I have into this one job. So once I decided that, I never wanted to assist. I never wanted to come to makeup school because I really wanted to do this job that way. And so I was living in Paris at the time, and I remember taking out a calendar, and I closed my eyes, and I put my finger, and then I opened my eyes. I was like, okay, March 13, I'm going to New York. I barely spoke English. I had zero money. <laughs> had, of course, no paperwork, like no visa or anything. And I was 19 years old, um, so I, I don't even know how my parents let me do that. But I went there, and that's when I started to do my own kit with um, those raw materials. And then I knock on the doors of all the models agencies saying, hello, I'm a French makeup artist. You can use me for free. I just need to make my book. And one of them hired me. And so I was working during the day at the worst place ever, which was a fur store. And you know me, you know, like, definitely not a good match. But honestly, nobody wanted to hire me because I had no paperwork. And also, uh, American hated French people back then because we didn't support 9-11 um, war. Mm. I mean, 9-11. We didn't support the war, let's put it that way. Uh, and, um, and so nobody wanted to hire me. And I ended up shooting at night, basically. Mm. So for a few months, I worked like crazy. And then I came back to France uh, and I tried to find an agent, which I did, which was already very surprising because, you know, France is a very snob and small niche world in the fashion, in the fashion industry. And if you don't know people or if you're not using contacts, it might be hard. But I did. And then that's, that's how I started. And because I think I was very young, a woman and um, quite different in my work, it's pretty that way. Uh, people heard of me more, maybe not necessarily in the best way, but I think that's thanks to that, that I was able to make a difference quite soon. And so that's how I ended up meeting Karine Watfeld, who was a um, French Vogue beauty uh, director, uh, sorry, French Vogue uh, editor-in-chief at the time. And she liked my work and really pushed me into 
the fashion world, you know, by putting an article of me in, in, in Vogue saying the new face of fashion, hiring me for editorials, and bec she became my godmother. And uh, then Dior came to get me to become their fashion, their, um, Dior came to get me to become their beauty designer, makeup designer, that was the title, makeup designer. And I did that for three years, still working in, you know, with fashion shows and editorial work. Then I started to consult for Sephora, for their own makeup brand to really help them boost the brand. And then that's when I decided to go to New York, launch my YouTube channel, work with Estee Lauder, and then to my brand. Amazing. What a story. So, you know, building a YouTube following is no small thing. And I think you have now over 300,000, you know, followers. What do you think that was unique or, you know, what can you attribute your success to in those early days? I think um, the focus for me is that I never wanted to become a digital creator. I'm from the old school makeup artist a career in a way, in the sense that I was, I had Dior at the time asking me if I wanted to create content. And I remember like doing makeup on me and I remember being offended <laughs> almost by it. Like, what do you mean? No, <laughs> never going to do that. And look what I'm doing today. Um, so for me, uh, I never thought about it. Uh, I was using Instagram as my portfolio. And then when I started to really have my work be seen in the US and I started to work for every magazine. I was posting all my work and I started to have a lot of DMs and a lot of comments. I don't remember who had DM at the time, but a lot of comments to, from people that are not from the industry asking me, how did you do that look? I love it. And so I started to realize that uh, my aesthetic was very, very different from the trend in America at the time, which was very like, full coverage, contouring, faux slashes. Um, and me, I was doing makeup where the skin was bare, uh, no retouch, daylight, and then this one glitter eye or red lip and always a creative touch, but everything else was very, very effortless. And I felt like people really related to that, though for those who didn't, you know, fall in love with uh, this other trend. And so I've got so many comments and it really gave a new dimension to my work because I think back then I really, I left New York, I left Paris when I had really, the, I was at the peak of my career. So I worked for every magazine. I worked for so many brands, so many fashion shows. People knew me, it was wonderful, but I, I'm not the kind of person who settle in their success. Success is kind of a side effect but it's not my goal in general. And so I knew I wanted to make a, to have my own brand. So I knew I wanted to leave, leave in New York for that. I always say I wanted to have um, a French car with American gas in it. <laughs> so, I, so I had my French car, but I needed American gas. So that's why I moved to New York and I was not scared to challenge myself again. And when I moved to New York, nobody knew me. I had to really start from scratch. Um, and I think I came with my French aesthetic and I just worked that way. And then he, he started to cough in the U S and all these people asking me, how do you do this? Look, how do you do this? Look, 
And I took two hours a day, I remember at the time, to respond to everyone because when I left, I knew I wanted to do my brand, but I also felt in the moment, in that moment, that um, I was kind of resting in that success. And that's not what I wanted because I knew I didn't find myself in my path yet. So that's why I needed to challenge myself again. And, and I need to find that thing, that little missing spice I needed in my work to be like, this is it. Mm-hmm. And so when people started to ask me and I started to respond and I started to sort of have a relationship with them, I started to feel like, oh, this is kind of giving dimension to my work because I'm kind of helping people. Mm-hmm. And in the fashion industry, you're such in a bubble, completely mm-hmm. isolated. And it's you, yourself, your ideas, you create the trends. And um, I, I enjoyed that at the beginning to really express my creativity. But then I felt like I was kind of in an aquarium, like going around and around. And so I really went full steam ahead in that with no strategy. Mm. It's just I enjoyed doing yeah. this. And so I remember one morning I was, because I was always trying to find, is there a creator I can send these people to so they can be educated on how to do these looks? But nobody was doing this kind of aesthetic because of course your aesthetic is your aesthetic. So I decided to do my own channel. But when you know me then, I hated being in front of the camera. Always did the same makeup on myself. Never try something new. I was doing this on other people, but not on me. So it was really, really to do it for people because I knew it would give a dimension to my work. And mm. so again, like people tell me, oh, it was such, such a smart move. You did that before building your brand. But to be honest, it was not a strategic move at the time. Then mm. I understood that it was actually an amazing way to create my own community, but really it came from a genuine place um, at that time. Yeah, well, that's, that's amazing. And so, um, you know, when you think about it now in hindsight, you know, it was the right thing at that time, but um, it's funny how you look back and everything kind of leads you to, you know, exactly. where you <laughs> so, um, so, you know, it sounds like, launching a makeup brand was definitely something that was um, kind of bubbling for for some time. I'm curious, how much has that vision changed or evolved over time as you become kind of closer and closer to the industry? Yeah, I, I had a few levels. So the first level was when I knew I wanted to do a brand. And from that day, I started to kind of use my work as my mad lab. And and uh, always have in, in my my like in my head, and then I had another moment where it was probably ten years ago when I really sat down. Yeah, it was ten years ago. I sat down and I did a sort of deck of all mm-hmm. my ideas and products, ideas, etc. What I wanted my brand to be. I feel like it was maybe like some sort of uh, visual board like vision boards i don't know what you call this you know uh it was not meant to be seen by by anyone and then when i moved to new york i i put like i had a mood board in my office where it was really my brand aesthetic and so i want because i wanted my editorial work to align this aesthetic because then i was able to build a community that resonated to it so when i launched my brand it was matching I didn't yeah. have a community that was completely uh, different from my aesthetic. So it was very important to, for me to do that. 
So that was kind of a second stone I put. And then, and then I started to work really on it uh, in 2018 when I was in Argentina for big clients. And they had no shame of showing me how I was the inspiration for everything from the model that was the model version of me <laughs> with bangs, French and stuff. All my content printed on the walls. Uh, and the campaign was this girl with a book at the bistro. And they went to Argentina, so it looks like Paris. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, uh, this is not the first time it's happening. A lot of people start to tell me in the industry, like, oh my God, I come on set and I see all your work, blah, blah, blah. Which is fine to be inspired by people. Um, I just, my fear was that somebody will nail my recipe in a way. And, and, I, and then when I launch my brand, it will not be as special. So it kind of gave me the kick in the butt to do it. And so I ran to the bathroom and I called Caroline who works with me on, on skincare perfume and said, please help me do my brand. Like, what do I need to start doing? And I came back to New York and for five days I isolated myself and I did my brand book, 84 pages that we still use in the office as a reference. We call it the Bible. We never touch it and never touched it. And it's still our, the soul of the brand in something, you know? So it kind of uh, came in, in different steps. Yeah throughout all these years. Yeah. And I guess in terms of the products um, specifically, how um, obviously, you know, you've worked with all makeup brands, I'm sure the best um, out there. How did you kind of hone in on what you felt was, you know, missing in the market or that you could do better? Absolutely. That was a big, big point because when I started to do, so the first thing I did was product development after my five days of doing my brand book, because I wanted to make sure that the formulas I had in mind were also accessible as much as possible and the packaging would be sustainable as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And so when I started to look into it, talk to vendors, talk to chemists and dig in, Caroline was an amazing asset because she's really expert in there because she launched the first certified organic skincare brand in France 20 years ago. And she's very on, on point on sustainability. And I remember sitting with her saying like, I'm really losing my mind because I am have those vendors like selling me groundbreaking, sustainable packaging, etc. And when I dig into it and ask a few questions, I realize that it's not. So it's really dangerous. And she told me, well, the best way, I know you really care, but the best way to be sustainable is to not produce. <laughs> and I was like, she's so right. And you know what? I need to own it. I'm going to be part of the problem. So what can I do? Uh, to avoid as much as possible that problem. So then the idea became, okay, I'm only going to focus on what doesn't exist on the market. And that became what we are today. I'm not here to compete. I'm here to complete. That's really how we build product development in the company. Um, that forces us to be very innovative. That's why for skincare, we have minimum of three years of development. Um, that's why for color and packaging is two years to be safe. I mean, in general, it can be more. We're already working on 2025 formulas and packaging. So it, it just requires a lot more time, which is not ideal for startups in a way, but 
that's the only way I could make sure formulas are really exceptional. Packaging is up to date in terms of sustainability. And uh, we focus on, we can focus on products that don't really exist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. What is your best advice? You know, you've, you've built an incredible community around you. Um, what is your advice for founders who are looking to kind of build that online community? I think there's the two most important things are, first of all, know what your brand is. And when I say your brand, you can be a creator. What is it? Stick to it. You don't need to be everyone. You don't need to check all the boxes because people know, they know if you're not genuine and people connect to authenticity. Mm. And that's, we think people want us to be perfect but I don't think, I don't think so. I think people want sincerity, authenticity. So that means what? That means like be yourself, know your brand and, and stick to it. And also um, be sincere in a way that I see brands really tiptoeing around having top discussions or getting to the political things or some creator and not being very, they're trying to check boxes I can see. But I follow people that have, we say in French, pas la langue dans leur poche, not their tongue in their pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they have a much loyal community. Because people just want to connect to reality, realness as much as possible through um, not in real, like this is not real social media in a sense, like it's not in yeah. real life. So at least they want authenticity as much as possible. So that's really the two things I, I, I would say and really read the room at the same time. Yeah, yeah, no, that's such, such great advice. Um, so, you know, you touched on this a little earlier. Um, French beauty is obviously very aspirational, um, particularly I think for American women. How have you incorporated the basic tenets of a French culture into the brand's DNA? Yeah, so that was actually, um, I never intended to, I mean, I, I worked on my brand when I was in Paris and I didn't know American culture. So I didn't think the brand will be French. It was French, you know. But then when I moved to the US, I remember being really shocked because I had no idea American liked French people that much. <laughs> like really no idea. And I remember walking in the street the first few weeks and people will tell me, are you French? I'd be like, yes. <laughs> this label on my head, what's up with that? And that um, was really funny. And, uh, and then every week, I think when journalists heard that I was moving, I started to have, like I didn't have shoots that much at the beginning, but I had interviews all the time. And I became like the representative of French aesthetic in the US. So every week I had interviews. All of them were around um, uh, French girls aesthetic, French trends and looks and everything. And I remember being so confused by it. Like, what do you mean French trends? I don't, I don't know. What, what is that supposed to mean? It was really strange. And, and then I started to be like, okay, why do, why do they love the French culture? Yeah. So, because I need to go deeper than that. I, I don't think it's that superficial. So I need to get, go deeper. And because I was really surprised because we're so different from American culture. So yeah. why do they like French? And I think 
it's about the life at the end of the day it's about the lifestyle we have in france that kind of impact our looks so I started to understand American culture a little bit more, their mentality, their habits, etc. And I then I realized how different we were. And and you know, in France, all we want is to be happy. We don't care about power. We don't care about success. Uh, we also a bit scared of it. I think uh, we want to be happy and enjoy life. There is really this. Uh, and you, when you look at the definition of sensuality, it's about being harmony with your senses in French. And and I, that's why I think it's a very sensual uh, culture. We mm -hmm. are obsessed making connection with our senses. That's why it's like good food, uh, a good time, a good life, a uh, good relationship, uh, good intimacy, like all this stuff, you know? And so if, if this is what we want, then we're going to spend less time in the bathroom, less time worrying about how we perform, uh, because it's all about how do I feel, how do I feel, how do I feel? If the next guy next to us thinks we're ugly, we're going to be like, oh, well, good riddance. Then at least I know he's not the right person I should focus on. You know, yeah. and um, and we are raised thinking being different means being unique, which means being irreplaceable. So, what American people called je ne sais quoi, I think it's that little difference that makes you unique, and we love that. We love to nourish this. That's why people are like, oh, she has this je ne sais quoi. Well, because she is in harmony with who she is, and she nourishes this uh, uniqueness. Um, so. That 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 was when I started to realize, okay, so that's what I think American culture wants, this sort of like freedom of accepting who you are, because America are very much under pressure of succeeding, performing. Even makeup, I feel it's used in a way to perform. Mm -hmm. That's why you contour, you do false lashes, etc. Yeah. So it was very interesting. So that's why I always say my brand is philosophy, products, education. Yeah, we cannot just sell the products. It has to come with education, so you feel you can do it. And philosophy, so it feeds you with something more than say, "Oh, it's a French girl, girl look," and it means nothing, and it doesn't help you. Yeah, yeah, it's such a great way of explaining it. So you know, moving moving back to um, the brand itself, um, you launched. You know, we're just talking about this almost a year ago now, and I think you know, I remember very clearly, and I'm sure you do. Um, launch day was a huge success. Um, you know, no advertising really, I think a testament to you, your community, and just, um, also the creative, you know, incredible creative campaign that, um, that launched the brand. How, you know, how did you think about it and, and what was the, the strategy behind that? Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure, you know, it's the most scariest thing to, think of your launch how do you go to market i felt like people were waiting for me to do my brand and the industry was like full eyes on me like i can't because i always done things my own way my style my in my work and my career uh, so i felt like i felt a lot of pressure that i'm i'm sure i put this on myself alone and I remember I was going through so much stress. I was yeah. so anxious. I'm not yeah. an anxious person. I mean, I used to be anxious. I'm not a stressed person. I'm very calm at work. But I had so much anxiety to a point that was like, it's unbearable. <laughs> it's going <laughs> to collapse. <laughs> and I remember calling Emily Wise, which has been an incredible support all the way. And I said, 
nobody talks about the pre-launch founder <laughs> nervous breakdown. It's horrible. How did you do it? She said, yeah, it's not the last one though. You'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. So I just wanted to bring joie de vivre, so joy of living, because that's the French culture. It's about joy, being happy, right? So I didn't want to come the classic route. I was obsessed by just, I want people to feel the launch, feel the joy and feel empowered by this brand. So that's when I was sitting with my husband on the terrace and I was like, oh, I want to do something, a video where it gives you the desire to go dance naked in your bathroom if you want to, you know? <laughs> and, and he said, why don't you do a sort of musical when now I, just so you know, I hate musical the most because I find it so cheesy. I cannot. <laughs> but but somehow it clicked and I said, well, let's make one that's not trying too hard. Like, I don't know how to dance. And I didn't train. I My best friend, like, showed me a few moves. She's Mariam. She's a, was a choreographer. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'm a bit awkward in my movements. But you know what? That's what I want for the brand. This is This is real life. Uh, this is me having fun. My real friends came to shoot this video with me and I feel like we were able to really capture. And that's why people told me from my community, they felt the joy and, yeah. and the products that were really happy products in a way, uh, yeah. helped, I think really helped us, uh, for this launch. Amazing. I love that. The backstory about the musical. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Wow, that's great. Um, so in terms of clean beauty, that's obviously, you know, a very big trend these days. Um, and I think it's, you know, more importantly, something that's here to stay. What what does that mean to you? And how has that both sustainability and transparency played a role in, in the brand of Violette? Yeah, so that's a big topic in the sense that, so we don't, if you look at our content, we never talk about clean beauty, even though we are, uh, because what clean beauty means. So I see brands putting on their page what clean beauty means to them. And so at first I was like, do we, should we do that? And then I was like, oh, I don't know, because I felt like it's such subjective. It's so abstract to people. I feel like it's really feeding this marketing beast of, yeah. of the, you know, like lead with fear and, and, and push people to buy with like, when I see like safe ingredients, non-toxic ingredients, listen, you, you buy a cream at the supermarket, maybe not clean, but you're not going to die from it, you know? Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't like that. I think we are in one way over educating people on ingredients. So then they think they can become their own dermatologist and, and ruin the skin barrier. And on the same side, we like having all this like very Scare, scary messaging around ingredients. All this, I feel like it's building up not a very healthy environment, but that's the beauty industry. Huh? They, they always go that kind of like toxic yeah. route to me. They do that with like how, how you, you know, selling all this product that's made to transform you um, and sell you. This is the one aesthetic you should have. Um, so we just said, listen, we're going to do, we, let's be transparent. So we're going to put all the ingredients, of course, on our website. We're going to talk about the way we work. Skincare is going to be focused on naturally derived ingredients. So Boom Boom Milk is 99%. Our new products is 99%. Um, 
We are making sure everything is produced and developed in France for skincare. Luc, our chemist, is this like incredible genius chemist who cares so much. He has five kids, four kids. He's obsessed about what he's going to leave, like what kind of planet he's going to leave to his family. So he's really focusing on, on, on his vendors, having a great relationship with them, knowing how they source things, etc. And for, for makeup, which we make sure, like, you know, we don't have like plastic or all this, uh, it's vegan which is a big challenge because, for example, red comes from carmine, which is an insect. So we really have to be extremely innovative. Uh, Petal Bush is, I think there is two only liquid lipstick on the market with the bright red that are vegan or three, but it's, it's very rare. So um, this is kind of the way we communicate around it. And Perfect. people who are fans of Sephora Clean will be like, oh, she's like Sephora Clean, she looks like. So it's it's more that way. Uh, and, and we talk a lot about how we do things. The one place we haven't been transparent yet is sustainability because even though it's a commitment I'm very, very uh, committed to, I wanted to have an expert who mm. is a journalist who is going to be able to build the content around it because I really want to make sure we are very, very transparent and very clear and not confusing. It's a very big topic. And uh, we found that person. Now she started to work on this. Uh, She's studying everything we're doing, how we produce, et cetera. Um, So I'm happy when people ask me a question, I can totally respond. But for me to be active about creating content around it, I wanted to make sure I have the best person to yeah. together get that but i think it's key it's the future I, I don't think like to me the future is less ingredients more like be careful on how you source um less active and uh you know microplastic all these things to be very aware of it yeah. to be able to make much more conscious um, formulation but also be transparent with your community for sure yeah no absolutely so, you know, you and I met um, now, you know, a few years ago, I think it was early 2020 and, um, and you know, starting the, the kind of fundraising conversations right before COVID, which, you know, was, was definitely interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, what was your experience like um, fundraising and, and kind of navigating those challenges? <clears throat> I mean, it, it was fun and also a bit crazy in a sense because I was ready to fundraise when I was eight months pregnant Hmm. and I was like ready for it. (laughs) My (laughs) advisors were like, "Mm, you should not do it now. I'm like, what do you mean? Why? I have, I had so much energy pregnant. I was like hysterical. It's like, what do you mean? I'm so passionate. I know exactly what I'm going to say. And they were like, no, it's not the right time. And I, and I got annoyed. I was like, okay, tell me why. Well, because you're pregnant. (gasps) That really triggered. I think I'm very privileged in France growing up. I felt like I, all my family's, um, lean, I don't recall this, like generation of women that are not successful, but, um, their own bosses. Yeah. So I never got confronted really to being a woman, being a weakness, you know what I mean? So that was a huge reality check. And I, I got really upset at it and I pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And they were telling me, even though it's fucked up, that's the reality. Most of the investors you're going to meet are white male. Yeah. And so they're not, they're going to think, that you want to stay home you might want to stay home and stay with your baby and you would have gotten all this money 
And so now every time I do a summit or whatever, I'm always saying to investors, they can hear me right now. Um, having a child can be actually your is no matter what your superpower, your superpower, yeah. you want to stay home. That's your superpower. But for founders, it, it doesn't take away from your passion of your job. It feels, it feels into it. Like, it's like, you like, I, I have no choice, but succeed because I have this little person I need to take care of. Yeah. And that's why you become a superwoman. Like suddenly you're much more proactive. You're much more clear. You don't have time to waste. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's wonderful. So that, that's what I'm trying to say. But yeah, I've, I've been confronted with that. And then as you know, because when I met you, it was, I think, eight months I was trying to fundraise. And it's not like I, I got a lot of interest, but I took my time also because it's not just investors who were interviewing me i was also interviewing them because i wanted to make sure they become your business partner you know to know you yeah. need to like them and want them to be in, on board but still i had so many of them that were like we're so interested but we need you to have a business partner and i told you this when i met you i was like well i i basically i think just need one to be i don't care you have a business partner i'm just going to do it and then they yeah. will all follow because right now they want me to have a business partner before signing a check. But the problem is it's like getting married. I can't force it. I need yeah. to find the right business partner. They need to believe in me and trust me that I will find that person, but I need to do this right. Yeah. And I think the opportunity, it takes so much time to produce. We need to start now. Yeah. And especially with COVID and you, you, I remember you rolled your eyes and you said, yeah, I heard this so many times. It's so <laughs> typical. <laughs> I, I don't need you to have a business partner. It's either I believe in you or I don't. Yeah. And I felt like that was very refreshing. And I, you know, I think until then I didn't know because I didn't meet you. I didn't know if your founder fund was legit. It was just like a marketing kind of angle. And I knew it wasn't. It was really honest, trying to make a difference in this um, industry. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you're right. Um, you know, you bring together partners that ultimately believe in in your vision. Um, it's a, you know a two way, definitely a two way exactly. Any advice? Um, you know, I know we have a lot of listeners that you know are, are female founders. Um, any any advice for them? Uh, for what? For fundraising. For fundraising, um, I think. It's very important to be, um, I think the, the, the investor deck that you're gonna pitch is really key. Mm -hmm. And um, when you do your brand positioning, I like to advise to kind of have it checked by different CMO or CEO, like people that have built brands before, because um, I've noticed that on the marketing side, people have usually one vision that does their own vision. And so it's good to have this vision being challenged by a few people, which is what I've done before fundraising. And, and I've been challenged in some areas where I didn't even think of because investor will challenge you, which mm -hmm. is great. But to come prepared, I think that's a very helpful thing. Uh, I like to have an investor advisor uh, mm -hmm. to help me build a business model because I could see another perspective, which was very, very helpful. And um, I think having a very realistic 
business planned like yeah. proje projections are the worst to do because you have zero idea really <laughs> you can guess but it's always going to be wrong for us it was completely wrong for example um in a good way but in a good way <laughs> yes but i think what investor wants is not so much for you to 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 make exactly what you said you'll make but more to understand your logic behind mm -hmm. it and so if you like having a growth that's extremely important over the next three years, mm -hmm. for me, it's, it's showing uh, that you're trying to sell your idea, but it doesn't show a very strong anchored uh, business plan behind it. The idea is for you to um, grow your business in a, in a very safe way. And, and that's what investor wants to see. And I think as a founder, you may want to, sugarcoat a little bit your business plans but it, it's important to that's how you set the tone for the future relationship you have with them so i feel like it's very important i remember i kept saying to investors i'm not interested in hyper growth i want this brand to be really perfectly executed that takes uh focus and yeah. and uh, and i think it was important i knew they wanted to hear hyper growth but i didn't say it and I, and i and i warned against it even and i think that's important to set the tone yeah no definitely definitely it's such great advice and i think you know sometimes it's something that people can overlook um but i think yeah. you have a vision but you know ultimately it's going to be questioned and so the yeah. earlier you can get feedback i think you know the better absolutely so, you know, last year, big news, you took on the role of um, Guerlain's creative director for, for makeup uh, between launching a, a new brand, um, you know, with a little one, you have a ton on your plate. Uh, what was your kind of inspiration for, for taking on this additional role and what impact do you hope to have through it? Yeah, it definitely was a surprise, I think, uh, <laughs> for my investors that I took on that role. But I think for some of you guys, it was kind of a obvious choice. But when you know a little bit about France, Gala is, and if you know about the history of beauty, Gala is a brand that helped pave the way. It's a brand that created the first lip, uh, lipstick in a bullet. It's his story right there. It's almost 200 years old. Um, it was of the first building, the store on the Champs Elysees with Hermes in front of it that was selling like horse equipment. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, it's, it's another time and they helped build his story. And it's, and it's when, when LVMH, the group, um, and Mr. Arnaud and, and uh, Veronique Courtois and Sanadad, who are really working on the brand right now, uh, talk to me about it. I was so happy to be connected to my culture, so happy to go on very deep on the expert side for color, like a designer, and, um, and work with a brand that I'm really aligning on because they are a front runner in sustainability. Yeah. Right away, like two years ago, they started to change the formula to a more natural formula. They didn't go into the clean route. They went into the natural formula because they yeah. were like, that's the safest way to provide no BS and good ingredients. At the same time, they are very careful not like overusing um, planet, uh, I don't know how you say it in English, resources. Yeah. So they have this whole department that's extremely active on stability, saving bees, etc. And, and I think Ghana is a house that um, is 
selling a, a look, a style, but not trying to tell you to change yourself. And, and it's really the haute couture of beauty. And when they told me they wanted to write a new chapter because it was Sleeping Beauty on Gala at the time, and I looked the archives and I met the people who work there, like Metori is still handmade, things like that. I was like, oh my gosh, when am I going to have an opportunity mm. to be able to work with such a brand? And, and it's very important when you're a freelancer, like I used to be, I used to work with many brands at the same time. Even when I was working with Joe, I was working with other people. Um, it's very important to, we are, as freelancer, we, our mind is creative because we have diversity. That's mm -hmm. how we work. And so it's a very healthy, every time I go to Paris for one week with Gala, I come back and I'm so clear with my vision for my brand because the two brands are so different even though they align that it's very not confusing for me in terms of strategy, content, and products of what I'm going to do for each. It's completely yeah. different. Uh, it's just like it's communicating, communicating basis. So my inspiration is not divided. It's really multiplied. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That totally makes sense. Um, so we, uh, last question before we move into the lightning round, um, you know, the, the 2% podcast is really focused on highlighting stories of people ultimately who are, are helping to improve the stats around, um, you know, more investment in diverse founders from your perspective, you know, what do you think it will take, you know, for us to see more parity as it relates to, yeah. um, you know, funding diverse founders? You know what? I was thinking about this question and I think it comes from the investors. I think the type of investors have to change. Like what you're doing is because you are, um, uh, you have your own background. You, you are female, like you are, you understand minorities. You understand women because you've been there and you built your business with all the difficulties that comes with it. So I think that's that's what we should do. I would almost say like I would want to see new type of investors. Yeah. And and I think they're gonna invest differently. Like right. the old route, it, it just it works, but I think you can really make a difference if the investment, even if you like, okay, you build this investment group, you great guy, uh, great great white guy maybe like make sure in your team you have a diverse type of investors not yeah. just focusing on the same ones you know uh, i think that's key to to change that so it comes really from there and uh, and you have to of course it's a financial job and it's connected to numbers and and strategy but it's a little bit like betting like collecting art you mm. need to have that crush and of course, you want to bet on the artist that's going to have an incredible yeah. uh, notoriety later. But if you don't have that crush, you're not going to, I don't think it will work. So I think investors also have to connect a little bit more to the instinct. Yeah. And that will make a difference because then they're not going to stop just at the image of, yeah. oh, is this a woman, is this a man, but more into the project itself and is it going to click with them? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, women are um, traditionally known to be a little more intuitive as well. So, um, so I think that that's a, a plus. Um, yeah, <laughs> there's many pluses. <laughs> um, so moving on to our lightning round, I'm going to ask a few questions. Feel free to answer with whatever comes to mind first. Let's start with what are the top three products you can't live without? Uh, I would say mine, Boom Boom Milk, my skincare 
definitely can't be without it. Probably SPF. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to say something really weird, but I'm, I cannot start my day without a tongue scraper. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how people do without it. I, I yeah. feel like it's, it's uh, why. So yeah, that, that will be the three things I can't live without. <laughs> what people or brands are you most inspired by? Um, I love more niche brands in a way. I mean, some fa- some fashion brands I really admire, like Jacquemus or Off White, uh, that are really paving the way. Um, but in beauty, I love uh, the Nuco. I love Dior Skin, Queer Beauty. There is such a uh, education and philosophy and non BS marketing kind of positioning behind it that I really I uh, really admire them. What What does a successful legacy look like to you? I would say uh, education, representation, the two things that matters, like you have to educate people as much as possible so they can make the right choices. Representation as well as a brand owner, I need to make sure you represent. And when I say represent, it's not so much about ethnicity, it's also about age group and gender uh, and you know body positivity, etc. So there is many, many representation that needs to happen. And there's a lot of work that's still to be, be going. So. I think my, my desire is to inspire brands to work that way, pro- produce better, represent better, and then to my community to edu- educate them as much as possible. And where can our listeners find you online? So on violetfr.com and also on my Instagram account, which is the brand account, uh, violetfr. Amazing. Well, this was such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Anu. Thank you for tuning in to The 2% for today's episode featuring Violette, founder of Violette FR. Violette FR, much like its founder, does not compromise on values or quality, and we are thrilled to include them as a female founders fund portfolio company. Stay in touch with us on Instagram at Female Founders Fund and on Twitter at FQVC. And for those of you building the next billion dollar businesses, we'd love to hear from you. Send all pitch decks to pitches at femalefoundersfund.com and we'll be in touch. And finally, if you're interested in working at one of our 45 plus female founded startups, explore our job opportunities at jobs.femalefoundersfund.com. Make sure to subscribe to The 2% on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening. And stay tuned for our next episode with powerful women founding and funding the future. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. Until next time, I'm Anu Dougal, and this has been The 2%.